0: This episode of the Paddock Pass Podcast is brought to you by Renthal Street Grips. For comfort, durability, and grip diameter options, Renthal Street has a grip for everyone. Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass Podcast, brought to you by Renthal Street. Check out Renthal.com for chains, sprockets, brake pads, and lots of other accessories for your bike. On today's Paddock Pass Podcast, myself, Steve English, and Gordon Ritchie are going to be breaking down the Aragon World Superbike Round, but because it's back-to-back, Gordo, because we've got the Japanese Grand Prix as well, this is probably going to be a little bit more of a general pod about World SBK rather than let's go straight into the specifics of Aragon.
1: Yeah, and we're not used to these back-to-back things. This is all a bit alien. This is it's going to throw back to when I used to do uh, World Superbike and MotoGP together when you were always travelling. Um, so I've stayed out uh, just to get some work done and stop wasting two days of no doubt cancelled. So I just decided to stay out. Um, but in the meantime, I managed to catch a cold. In 30 degrees, which is, A, very very like me, but B, I'm very grumpy. I'm I'm so grumpy, Steve. You have been warned, I am very grumpy.
0: i tell you what, no one wants a grumpy Scotsman, but I remember at Laguna, years ago, I got pneumonia in Laguna, so it's one of those situations, Gordo, it doesn't matter how hot it is, you can still manage to catch something, but as it gets hotter, it's always harder to catch Alvaro Bautista. We saw that (laughs) again last week in Aragon, but let's kick off the show with the crash, because... This was this was a massive shock. He had a big lead at the time he came off and Alvaro threw away pretty much a certain way.
1: Yeah, I mean, that may or may not have significance come the end of the season, but it certainly had significance at the time because it was a bit unnecessary. Um, I, do, I understand the circumstances of a crash according to what he said. Um, he was just a bit unlucky. Uh, your front end does go very light and that changes direction in that chicane. However, with a lead like that, and knowing that your tyres and your setup are going to be better overall, the, the whole race than anybody else's, it was all a bit unnecessary. And all about 2019, it wasn't really required. And I think he was just pushing a bit too hard too early. He didn't blame anything else. He blamed himself. Um, and then, But, let's face it, he came back and, and did the most he could do after that. So, I mean, after all that, he left with a 47-point lead.
0: Obviously enough for Alvaro. He can wrap up the Championship this weekend, but As long as Top Rack follows him home, we will go down to a final round decider. You always wanted to go down to a final round, but you also kind of want to be able to, if Alvaro's going to leave this weekend with pretty much the championship all but wrapped up, only needing a few points next time out in the Rath, you kind of want Rath to be that swang song for Top Rack at Yamaha, Johnny at Kawasaki, and that's the focal point rather than just getting across the line for Alvaro.
1: Yeah, I mean, there would be a certain poetry if a Spanish guy won in Andalusia um, it's not where it comes from, but it's very Spanish. So that would be a very uh, kind of poetic thing for them. But as you say, there's an awful lot of changes happening next year, and they're going to start when we finish on Sunday.
0: Just when you look at it as well, Gord, because we've got an interview with Paul Denning about the move for Jonathan Ray. We've got uh, Denning also talking about Locatelli versus Toprak. It is quite interesting just to look at that dynamic as well, because in Aragon, This was as good as we've seen from Locatelli at any stage in his superbike career. He was able to battle with Toprak. He was faster than Toprak for a lot of the weekend as well. Toprak really struggled to get the bike stopped. And there was a lot of times we rode on board with Toprak and he just looked like he was any other rider. Couldn't quite get the confidence to be able to attack.
1: Yes, um, that's all true. I think, however, from what Toprak said in the interviews right after, um, that he was just waiting for his chance to go. I don't think Toprak was going full max. Even though he definitely did have braking problems, the bike just didn't feel right for him. He certainly wasn't able to ride the way he wanted to, but the Locatelli performance was very impressive because of where he was, just the Batista. But ultimately, I think Toprak could have, in a head to head fight, they would have went. Obviously, it went wrong for Locatelli's bike, um, and he got punished for that, for carrying on without stopping. He did go on for a while, which affected Michael Ruben Ronaldi's result because he pulled back, pulled to the side, gave a bit just as he was coming through catching the two of them. So you can see why there was a dim view taken of it. Um but ultimately yeah Locatelli was very impressive. He said that it's one of the best races he's ever had. We consider how many races he's had in various classes and he's huge champion in world super sport. That's a that's a big statement to make. But he looked great. And maybe the only thing that's missing from that guy is hyper aggression. The same level of aggression that Top Rat can pull out every week. Um maybe that's the only thing that's missing. Maybe he needs to ride In a style further on, he's got the talent to do it, but he's just, he's maybe too much of a control rider and maybe needs to let go a little bit using his judgment so he's not. But to me, all it looked like was he just was more aggressive, more determined, more, no, no. If he does that, we can see he's the most under the radar rider here. He needs to step up and he did that in that race. If he can do that in the final two rounds, we're going to have a different opinion of him for next year
0: this was one of the things that was probably important for Locatelli as well because we've seen it earlier in the season Lowe's against Ray being able to battle with one another we've seen Rinaldi on plenty of occasions able to match the pace of Alvaro and a few occasions able to to beat him in a fight but Realistically, for Locatelli, Lowe's, Rinaldi, it's been to back up that lead rider. This was a chance for Locatelli just because Toprack was struggling. We're not going to see Toprack struggle this weekend in Portimao, you
1: You can't imagine so. He's obviously been amazing here in the past. Um, I I think, ultimately, Toprak, Jonathan and Alvaro have just got it on everybody else. Um, but if the, any of those guys want to make any dent in the the, the top three, the big three... They have to find something in themselves because they can't find something in the bike. As it stands, they're all on the same bikes. Now, they're going to, there's going to be changes there for next year um, for Michael Rubin and Aldi. He's not going to win a factory Ducati, wherever he ends up. End of the day, you have to step up yourself. You have to find a way. Doan had to become the guy that was the guy after all those legends that went before him. Your Wayne Gardners and Neddy Lawsons and all that. Somebody had to step up. Could have been Mackenzie, Crevier, any one of those guys, if you look at MotoGP. That's where we are now. If someone wants to beat these top three, they have to do it. The team can help them all they want. They can give them the bikes all they want. But you have to be the one that makes a difference in Europe to depose the great ones, especially when you're on the same
0: bike as them, because then you don't have any excuse. I thought it was interesting, and we're just about to play the interview with Paul Denning, the team manager for the Yamaha squad, and Denning was interesting whenever he was talking about the comparison between Locatelli and Toprak. Only tenth and a half between them on average during the race laps. But that tenth and a half is so difficult to find. That's where it was good to see Locatelli find that little bit of time in Aragon. Now he needs to back that up these final two rounds. But the main crux of the interview with Denning was about the news that Yamaha were obviously going to bring in Jonathan for next year and how that transpired. And, Gordon, it was quite clear that the personal relationships made a big difference for helping this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in a race team you have to work with people. Um, World Superbike is still quite an open paddock where people are Quite happy to talk to the opposition, whether that's riders or teams or anybody else. There's no demarcations really. Uh, sometimes you get them inside teams rather than elsewhere. But yeah, that what what part of the reason that the whole thing became realistic and then a reality is simply because people started having a conversation, a kind of what if conversation, um, and then people started putting two together, two, and two together, getting four, then four times four, and then all of a sudden it's a hundred percent deal. Amazing. I mean, you, you'd think that mm, it's possible, but as you say, a lot of that, as we're about to find out is personal.
0: It was interesting, though, when the news first came out at Donington and we were talking about it, and it was easy not to... It was easy that it wouldn't happen. Yes. More so than the reasons it would happen. And we've still got no, no real confirmation about the mechanisms for how it's managed to happen legally. But the one thing that was important was the motivation from Ray was there to make a change. And once that motivation came he wasn't going to do anything other than me.
1: Yes, um, I think, but even by that stage, he realised, okay, two years, I, I, I think I've written about this, two years ago, Johnny was on a bike when he fit to win the World Championship. Then a year later, he was on a bike capable of being second to the World Championship, capable of, and then the, it's fairly obvious this year that the, the the machine he's on, just through age. You know, Kawasaki working hard, Yamaha's working hard, Ducati's working hard. Just through age, the the base materials of the bike isn't enough to let them, and, and the rev limits they have isn't enough to let them compete. So what do you do? You move. Johnny's done it before. He did it leaving Honda. So it, it was a shock, but maybe not a surprise. One of those ones. The logic of it's perfect.
0: And I think that's one of the things that Paul stresses during as well. It wasn't a case of Yamaha chasing after him. It was just momentum built, and then suddenly the chance came to replace top rack with a six-times world champion. And as Paul says in the interview, this is pretty much the only like-for-like replacement you could have. So let's hear from Paul Denning. Paul Denning, thanks for joining us again on the Paddock Pass podcast. And obviously, Yamaha's been in the news a lot. The news of Johnny Ray signing for the team took everyone in the paddock. It was what took us by storm last time out. So from your perspective
2: and the team's perspective, how did it all come about? Uh, Slowly, carefully, uh, painstakingly, I suppose (laughs) would be the answer. But... uh, No, I mean, obviously the disappointment of Top Rack taking a different path for 24 was a tough one to react to. Um, But there was a position that we were unaware of where Jonathan could be potentially available. Uh, That became apparent. Um, And when that interest was shown uh, at that point, we were kind of, uh, because why would you not want to take probably the only rider in reality available Uh, who can not only replace what Top Rack is doing competitively, but brings all that experience of winning six world titles and and effectively also, on top of everything, brings a fresh motivation to Yamaha Engineering, to the crew itself, uh, to our partners, to everyone involved in the project. So, um, yeah, it was a... Uh, as I said to Jonathan's manager, Chuck Axelund, was a sort of strangely enjoyable process, but, uh, um, but but it was a strange one, and we got there in the end, and yeah, I couldn't be happier.
0: These are those kind of situations where usually a manufacturer doesn't approach the rider. The rider has to say he's in a position to move, mm-hmm. and then you take it step by step from there.
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously, as team manager, uh, the there were a few kind of... Uh, lighthearted messages more personal than anything else kind of shared um uh, at the sort of very very start and uh i thought well that's interesting that jonathan's a, how is that is that even you know is he just joking or is that even a possibility and uh, uh so when a discussion confirmed that uh, the possibility was genuine um and that the motivation was as huge as it clearly was to uh effectively kind of disrupt a relationship that's brought him so much success, first of all, uh, and has to be so you know deeply respected because of that. Um, but as a champion and as a winner, these guys want to keep winning. And uh, I think we were just lucky that the timing was right, uh, that he needed something fresh. And I can't really speak on his behalf, but what I can measure by... Uh, very very easily by and it doesn't take a lot of um, working out is that his motivation is absolutely not commercial absolutely not financial it's to win motorcycle races and to try and become world champion again and uh, he feels that uh, a fresh racing family um, a new technical platform uh, and a fresh motivation Uh, our ingredients that will help him to achieve that Um, so yeah we feel quite humbled to be honest and uh, very lucky to have uh, achieved the agreement with
0: yeah also for me one of the things that was interesting top rack they're ruthless and you're used to seeing it on the track this was an occasion where we saw it off the track and now he goes to a new project Yamaha over the last few years has been more than competitive enough to be able to win races and now we get to see what he's like on a third manufacturer as well obviously Honda Kawasaki and now this but I think everyone in the paddock is going to be excited to see how he can replace Toprak because Top Rack does certain things better than anyone else in the grid, but Johnny's also been able to do things like that as well. So for Yamaha, this is the perfect situation.
2: I've been, and I can say that this also is shared with the, you know, Andrea Dossoli and everybody from Yamaha, I've been kind of more impressed with Jonathan's riding this year and at some points last year where the package was not there to win, and yet the ferociousness in his performance is still... I mean, fighting with Dominic Agatha at Misano over fifth place, probably passed each other 20 times in the race. Uh, and that fifth place was something he looked like he was willing to die for um, rather than, you know, be beat by a rookie on, on the Yamaha. And um, that's kind of more impressive than in a way than when you have a dominant package and you're churning out the confidence race by race, lap by lap, um, and, and winning everything that goes. So... Um, yeah it's gonna be uh the first few laps on the r one are gonna be something that's a bit of a kind of a lump in the throat moment because ultimately top rack is top Rack is level of talent is un, you know he's a world champion um but Jonathan is world superbike's effectively most successful rider ever and will never be matched. I think we'd probably all be confident in saying that um and uh yeah to as I say, measure his motivation by the steps he's had to take to arrive with us is pretty impressive.
0: You mentioned about the technical platform as well. One of the things that's going to be key over the next couple of weeks and months is the people that end them put around him. Toprak's going to leave. A lot of talk about whether or not he's going to take Phil as his crew chief. And For Johnny, during the discussions, were you in a position to talk about crew with him or was this just a rider? Isn't there and there?
2: No, it was primarily only around um, his Reasons to consider the move um, and what we could put together for, for him in order to uh, convince him that it was the right thing uh, to do. Um, the second issue of putting the crew um, around him has, of course, been uh, discussed in detail and its progress. Um, I can tell you that Phil will move on. Uh, with Top Rec, uh, which is a disappointment because he's been just, obviously of course, he was with the Crescent team back in the day with Eugene um, and rejoining us again with Top Rec for the last four years. But, you know, I understand, you know, Phil came with Top Rec. He's developed a relationship there that's uh, quite, you know, hard to replicate. Um, he didn't know, of course, when he took the decision to move on that Jonathan was coming, and I, it would have been interesting. It's not a question I've ever asked him, so I never will. But um, it would have been an interesting question. To say, hey, Jonathan's coming. Are you interested in, in in that option? And that I don't. I have no idea whatsoever whether that may have uh, uh, changed his position. But ultimately, you know, there aren't many riders like Toprack that you can uh, engineer throughout your career. And uh, I can't really speak for Phil, but I think as much as anything else, given the relationship he's got with the lad he almost didn't want to sort of leave him out there on his own as much as anything else, as much as he feels loyal to our team. um, I think, you know, that bond with the rider was something that was quite tough to break. So, uh, yeah, so we're working on um, our team structure at the moment. And uh, yeah, things will become clear over the next few weeks on that. Just last couple of questions as well, Paul, obviously the other side of the pit box, Locke
0: stays for next year and Locke has done what he's done and he's been able to be consistent. He's made that step year on year. But as a solid, dependable number two, there wasn't really any reason for Yamaha to look elsewhere. He's got that locked up at the minute. Yeah,
2: and we're just obviously hoping that the uh, next step comes. He only needs to win a race. I know that's a really easy thing to say and a tough thing to do. Um, but when you analyse his performances this year against Top Rec, uh the Average lap time in the races is so ridiculously close. Um, it's, uh, you know, like I can tell you exactly what it is. It's 0.1 a second average lap time lost to Top Rack over the course of every race combined this year. The differential is that Top Rack is making those passes in the last couple of laps and putting himself in a position to be second or be third or challenge to win the race and lockers may be fourth or third or fifth or, or wherever it is. And it's just that last piece of confidence required to take the bike to its limits and beyond in the way that Top Rack does, because because Locker's not making any mistakes. He's not crashing. He's not running wide. He's not missing apexes. Um, leading the Super Bowl racer, Imola, looked super comfortable in what he was doing and obviously held off Jonathan for third place. So his capability level is coming and coming from here on. In. I truly believe it's a mental game, and it's about finding that last piece of true inner self-belief that when you get passed by a Toprack or a Jonathan or a Bautista, that his next corner you're straight back past them because you deserve to be in front of them, and that's just a, a leap of faith and a leap of confidence that I hope he takes and uh, fast enough and uh, consistent enough to achieve even better results than he's doing right now.
0: Just one last topic then, as well, the championship as a whole. Obviously, the top rack move to BMW, Johnny coming to Yamaha. It's something that's gotten everyone excited. Change is always something that excites people, but when you look at the championship as a whole, new riders coming in, Ian O'Neill likely in the fray, Mark VDS joining the. Championships just keeps getting deeper and deeper.
2: Yeah, from a content point of view, wow. I mean, you know, forgetting next year when you look at this year and you look who's finishing, say, 14th or 15th in a race and you go, wow, these are good riders, really good riders. You know, Honda as a team have their struggles at the moment to become truly competitive, but two brilliant riders. Um, and, you know, at the moment, a kind of ninth, tenth places is uh, where they're going to be if they're not able to find the um, solutions and the rhythm to uh, move forward from there. So you only need to be a tiny bit off in this championship uh, and you're nowhere. And that's even going to get tougher next year. Two more, uh, I don't know what color they'll be, but they can't come from the the house of the red bikes, you know, with uh, Sam Lowe's and uh, with uh, Andrea and Ian only riding them. They're going to be tough. Um, And then the strength in depth across the rest of the field. Um, Loris Baz has had bad luck this year and is a very capable rider but um you know going forward the four bmws are going to have fantastic riders there's not going to be a you know you're going to have to look a long long way down the qualifying sheet to find any sort of team or rider where you think that's a weak a weak link so um yeah there's the you know the championship like all sporting platforms does face its challenges uh but from a strength of depth point of view it's going to be incredible next year
0: yeah well best look for the rest of the season and thanks for
2: no worries thank you mate
0: Great to get Paul's insight, so thanks again to Paddy Yamaha for organising that. Gordo, just one of the things about the move from Kawasaki to Yamaha for Ray, it then creates this big question mark of how Kawasaki replace Ray and the ramifications for that as well, because the Kawasaki, it isn't an attractive package really for Ray. For independent teams, whenever you can have independent Yamahas or Ducatis that are much more competitive than what we've seen from Kawasaki teams?
1: Yes, as it stands right now, um, that seems to be the situation. People are uh, more or less voting with their feet. Um, there are a lot of regulations in this championship, and the Kawasaki is allowed to have now 500 more revs than it had before. That might make it a, a return it to a higher degree of uh, competition than it is right now. But as it stands, all the riders on a Kawasaki or a Yamaha or a BMW, whatever it is, that have rules set on them, sometimes aimed at the, or because of a consequence of the best rider, end up suffering for it. The Kawasaki's been that way for a little bit of time now. Um, if they get another concession point, which they didn't get at the latest break after the ninth round, there was no more new concession points awarded to anybody. So they couldn't make the next stage, which they bring camshafts. That, I would like to see the Kawasaki with 500 more revs that they expected it to have. That might transform the way the bike is because everything else is limited now. The Ducati might be a lot faster, but even it's got lots of limits on it. The BMW is very fast, got some limits on it, some. So it could become a more attractive package quite soon at the end of the year if they do allow it. If, if And as I say, they've had two abilities to improve their revs, but they are all packaged. At least they know the bike that well now. However, in reality... We're, we're not at that stage yet. So people looking at next year are thinking, maybe I need to change to something else. It's amazing when you consider how long Kawasaki's been, do- not dominant, but competitive in this championship. And it's changed now in very short time.
0: At the end of the day, Gordo, it was dominance for a long time. Kawasaki, if you think of Lowe's is a good example of, whenever he was leaving Yamaha, the only bike that most people wanted to jump onto, unless you get onto the Aruba bike, was going to be a Kawasaki. It had been the dominant team, the dominant manufacturer for so long. Team. But they're not anymore because Yamaha have made steps every year. Ducati's made steps every year. We've had the same personnel inside that KRT pit box for the eight years I've been here and probably the few years before that. A lot of the time, you do need to churn. You need to... Bring in fresh ideas. They've done that a little bit this year. If you think about the fact that Johnny's changed his electronics engineer, there has been some movements there. But it is one of those situations where has it been enough? Now Kawasaki will be able to to see how they fare. Because what's interesting is you mentioned about the differences that can happen with competitive bikes. evo from Speedweek, writing in a lot of detail that Pachetti could switch to Ducati for next season. Because as far as an independent team is concerned, you're having to buy the materials anyway you might as well have the best bike possible. And that kind of shows where they're falling in the pecking order, as does who they're going to have in their bike next year. Everything, and I mean everything in the paddock, says that it's Axel Bassani. It's a done deal. Kawasaki at the last round said that they're still talking to, or they have talked to two MotoGP, half a dozen riders in the Grand Prix paddock, guys in the superbike class. So they're still talking to a lot of riders, but everything does point to being Bassani.
1: It does. But it should have been done by now. If it was guaranteed to be Basani, to me, it should have been done by now. To me, something's changed. I don't know. I've got no greater insights than anybody else. Um, Those kind of things are generally buttoned up. But it should have happened by now. I think everybody was expecting it to have happened by now, and it hasn't. So we have to allow for that 1%. We're all 99% certain, so it has to be the 1%. Um,
0: Just about uh, that 1% as well. It is always one of those things about... Who's going to come in and will it give enough motivation for people to stay? Reba is probably the most interesting person for this because his relationship with Johnny's been so tight, so close over the years. And the expectation is he'll move to Yamaha. But we've got an interview with Reba coming up now. And I don't think you can take anything for granted. I think it's certainly right now, here and now, nothing's been decided for Reba. And I think there's a tone in the interview that says that there was resignation for Reba, that he wasn't going to be moving with Johnny for whatever reason. And that could well change. But right here, right now, I'd be thinking that Paribas stays at Kawasaki, which means Bisani or a young rider potentially coming through. And maybe that's a challenge he also he'd be interested in.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was lucky enough to be sitting in with that interview when you were doing it, Steve. So I got to hear what he said. Um, yeah, I, I think it could go either way because I think there's an awful lot of bonus. There's a lot of pluses and minuses in staying where you are or going where you're going. Change is good if you've got a certain mentality that you, you think it's better for you. Um, but Perry Rieber's got a long relationship with Kawasaki that long predates any relationship he had with Jonathan Ray, um, despite the depth of the relationship, working and otherwise, that he's got with Jonathan Ray and how he praises him at the skies. I mean, he kept he keeps saying over and over for all these years, the difference is Johnny, the difference is Johnny, the difference is Johnny. So maybe he'll follow the difference. Maybe he'll stay where he is because he's got an awful lucky project from... Many, many years. Um, and obviously, Catalan in the team, there's a lot of reasons to stay. There's a one big reason to go, and that's a new challenge under his wing where he... But again, it all goes back to as soon as a big name like that moves, that has a knock-on consequence all through the paddock. There could be whole people joining and leaving and moving around, forced out, no place, want to move, want to stay. But I think of all the crew chiefs and or, or all the manufacturers, the whole paddock, other than Ducati made mean set up. It's a very good operation.
0: Yeah, and I think it's one of those things that for Reba, the investment he's made as a person to be able to push the project forward has been one of those big, interesting talking points because he was a test rider for them, came in crew chiefing, learning the ropes as a crew chief with Juan the Scores, then Loris Baz, and then you fall on your feet with a Jonathan Ray. And as ever, Gordo, the most interesting things in any interview are after we stop recording. (laughs) And he was... Just gushing in his praise for Johnny as usual about the things that Ray can do, and that's why for me when when you saw the saw the transition from with the microphone, I think it was quite clear that there is a challenge for him to try and figure out what to do next year. But when we were finished the interview and we were just talking freely, the respect he has for Ray is never
1: no, no, never, and that's quite right. I mean. I didn't quite see in Johnny the, the, the racer that he became when he moved over here. His talent was immense, you could see it, but he was always winning or doing well on the same tracks, etc. You could see there was a few, you know, there's always warning signs from history when a rider does really well on the same three tracks all the time, especially when they're his home tracks or whatever. It's like, well, you know, and it was a lot of good young But as soon as Johnny got any kind of bike, Kawasaki, he just beat everybody. So he's huge, his talent is huge. He has a generational talent. Um, and getting towards it now so there's the other thing sorry steve i know you're but the other thing about perry is that how long if he was he was to change manufacture how long would it be if he's only going for johnny he's got what to see whereas if he stays at kawasaki he's got until he wants to retire and until the, so there's a there's a million different elements involved in this and it's people's jobs it's people's futures their families their houses their mortgages you know and not everybody in racing gets a choice most people lose their jobs because somebody says, sorry mate, not
0: this year. Well, it's like anything else. Most people are retired rather than decide to retire in racing and most people are moved on before they want to. Reba's in a pretty unique situation for that. What's interesting for me whenever you talk back about 2015, the winter of 2014 to 2015, I remember talking to Eugene Laverty whenever he was switching to MotoGP and I asked him like, you know, what's the most and he was saying that well obviously the, the big motivation is I want to be in GP, I want to be a Grand Prix rider I want to have success here but one of the other things that he said was with the Kawasaki you're not going to see which way Johnny goes for years yeah. like for him and for other riders they were convinced from the get-go this was going to be a move that would work and would lead to success and I think that's what's quite interesting with it now there's a bit more of a question mark because of what we're seeing from Ducati I think Ray's going to come in and he's going to be very competitive on the Yamaha right from the get-go. So that's definitely not going to be one of the questions going into next year. But the Reba situation is going to be one of the questions. It was one of the questions we asked Reba during this Renthal Street Session interview. Just straight off the bat, Renthal provide a lot for, for track bikes. So when you're setting up a bike for different what's the main...
3: One of the first things you will work with the rider when he's a new rider is uh, to give him uh, the position in the bike... This means each rider is different, Uh, is more tall or shorter or hands, arms, legs, you know. Then this is very important to find the position in the bike. This means handlebars, as you said, and uh, footrest, uh, seat position, fuel tank, uh, you know, all all these kind of things are the, 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 the base, let me say of you working when you have a new rider. This means, of course, it's very, very important to find also in terms of handlebars, for example, position, but also the grease, you know, how much open is a close or close. This means this is something very, very important because it's also marking, let me say, the position of the rider is marking also aerodynamic. And this means uh, it's very important.
0: And obviously enough, Reba, when you are looking to build a track bike for any of your riders in the past you can with kawasaki there's the agreement with rental as one of the partners so chain sprockets and other parts you can make sure that they're the same as what you have on the superbike as well
3: uh yeah of course uh let me say in terms of uh, sprockets uh what we use in uh, in a normal road uh, road bike is a little bit different compared what we are using in racing but anyway in the end it's the same uh, maker you know uh, rental or you know they make uh, the ones for the race bike and also for the road bike and it's an important point uh, as I say for example in a, in, a, in a race bike we have a different internal of gears you know this makes an effect of the rear because sprocket is something important depends in, depending the sprocket you use in the front and rear uh you change also a little bit the the angle of the chain you know this means this is also affecting his bike and of course when you're a normal road bike you have to also to find a good compromise and balance to have what you are looking for you know this is why is a very important product you know to, to find the compromise
0: well let's look at the compromise that's happened over the last few years for kawasaki and for johnny on the bike in the last couple of years it's been a lot tougher but when you look at his performances on the bike this year how do you assess how the season has been? Um,
3: you know, it's a, for example, in this moment, in terms of chain, we are talking, for example, in terms of the final speed. Uh, we are working also with uh, with uh, half teeth, let me say. you know, It means, as everybody knows, when you change the rules we have in Superbike, you cannot change internal duties we can. You have only use the final sprocket, change one to 300 p.m., it's quite, but now we have the chains. For example, now right, works, works very well. The chain and a half teeth. You can play with 180 RPM. So that makes sense for us. It's a very important item in the, to get the best from the engine acceleration.
0: We're nearing the end of the season now, Reba. And you have won one race. Obviously, with Johnny, you are used to so much success over the last few years. His time with Kawasaki is coming to the end. When you look back at the time since 2015, when you started to work together, how, how do you feel? About the, the time together?
3: Yeah, very happy. You know, I mean, um, we start the chapter in 2015, as you say, with Jonathan, and uh, I think uh, we've been living together many things. In, uh, in 2015, he won the first championship, but from that moment, front of the rules, let me say, has been starting to make some changes. Technical changes affecting in the different areas. I think we made it well by year. And uh, we've been living a dream, you know, to, to win uh, something, I think, 10 years ago, you know. This means was a fantastic time. And then, okay, let me say the last two years has been a little bit more difficult. I mean, everybody, especially Ducati, comes with Panigale before they make a step. Let me say, in a way, all of the manufacturers to be even working harder, you know, and I think they make a good job. And for us, okay, we, we, we even improved the bike step-by-step step every single year, but now we're really struggling a little bit, you know, to be with them. But, okay, this is part of the game. Uh, I keep in my mind uh, what we've been achieving in the last years, and I'm very pleased and happy to be part of this uh, success and all the.
0: What did you think of Johnny's decisions?
3: Uh, you know, uh, we have to respect. Honestly, I try always to... To understand any decision from any person in the team or in life, you know, I mean, uh, I think Jonathan uh, has been with us since nine years. I think a new chapter for him, some some new, uh, how to say, new blood. Jonathan is old, he's already 36 years old. This means uh, maybe the inertia in the last couple of years, in the best to create some motivation, me say, and motivation in the sport, in the sport we are, or all the sports in a high level. Motivation is one of the things for a new motivation. You know, we don't know if our bike and her bike is, I think, the level of both bikes as well. But clearly, Johnny on new chapter motivation and this kind of something extra, you know. I
0: really respect Hundred. Just for you as well, Reba, you've obviously had to work with Loris Baz, Scores, and then Johnny as three riders. They were all at very different stages of their careers. What's more fun for you? Is it to work with someone like Johnny that came in as the finished article and you try and win the championship? or to see the growth for someone to develop?
3: Only, speak, only, only speaking, the one who made the change was myself, you know, because I start as a job with journalist course, and in the beginning, I have to say that I was very new, you know. I mean, it was a new job for me, 100%. I start to learn, you know, as I might. And uh, learn as much I can. I mean, some areas I was strong, but were new for me. Then, uh, okay, then arrived the moment, the tough, everybody that happened with Juan. And then I took, uh we took his bath, very young I as all, and something like this, and really enjoyed with us. In that time, it was more to help him how to write, how to know to be more master rider, you know? And then, in the same time, keeping learning and technical manager, and manager and tools that can be the technical from engine, electronics, the guide, the mechanic, in this case, Mara, and suspension. And then I take the decisions, but I have to. It's a different learning than with Lottie's time. And I think when Johnny comes in the project, I was much more mentor of my job and this helps result. Jonathan has natural skills like a wall and of course this helps result. And you have a top top rider like Jonathan make my job. Uh, In the same time of course start to win and win makes pressure to myself you know to be always in the edge you know to do the best of, of the package since I guess also this helps me growing a little bit faster and you to be more precise with everything this means we create a job to I help Johnny but also we, we grow together you know together with the team of course with Mara with Uri with Pao with everybody you know this means uh, yeah With time and uh, I think a job would like to live in, in racing many people in racing don't have this I'm very fortunate spending and uh, yeah and say enjoying life well,
0: we'll let you get back to your team and get ready for the weekend Reba. yeah thanks very much Great to get Pereira back on the podcast and get his insight. But uh, Gordo, when we look ahead to next year, what do you think is the ceiling for Ray, or what do you think is the what constitutes a successful switch to Yamaha?
1: A successful switch to Yamaha would be greater performance than, he's, than he can put in right now on a bike he's been riding for nine seasons, eight seasons—a long time. Um, that would be a success. Ultimate success involves the small red elephant in the room. And that is beating beaten the, the might of Ducati and, and Bautista, assuming he's still got the hunger and so on. He's certainly got the ability. No one's getting anything like the same performance out of that bike every weekend and every day. Bautista has. Okay, he has to ride it on the edge a little bit, more than he's admitting, because look at what he's a few offs. So the bike is still tricky, but if he can ride the way he rides now, are we looking at Jonathan being world champion again? Well, you've got to say No. Unless there's some major change in the balance of the rules or a new bike it comes in twenty fifteen if Johnny's still there or whatever. Or but he's to decide in fourteen, you know what? 24, 20, 24. twenty twenty four. I've had enough. At home now, I've done it, I've third world championship, assuming he wins this year. He you know, if that's the case, why would you hang about? You're not going to do six, you're not going to do seven. So you think well, okay, I'm not going to be the goat, but I can be and amazing, and the Lazarus story for him is amazing. You know, after night, I would have broken lesser people. He was leading, but um, and then two bad seasons, really tri- fast but tricky. That would have broke lesser people. So you've got to chapeau to the wheel. And he's an awesome rider, and and the first people that are praising him are Jonathan and Top Right. But you, that is Johnny going to be able to beat that if Batista carries on the way he's going? Well, Top Right can't. Top Right's been three, four seasons of Yamaha. So the ultimate success. Hmm.
0: Just you mentioned about Alvaro there as well, Gordo. It's always one of those interesting talking points because for me, I think that there's a very clear mark between Johnny and Toprak. You've got Alvaro's top two and everyone else because I think that he can obviously, other riders can't do. I don't think he can overcome the shortcomings of a bike like we've seen from Toprak and from Johnny. But he's obviously able to perform really well. He's able to give himself the chance of consistently stay at the front on the Ducati. So for me, Alvaro has shown himself to be better than the alternative, but maybe not quite as good as those top two riders.
1: Yeah, um, and that's a debate. That's a great debate you can have, whether you're talking about between two people that go to all the races or you're talking about two guys in the pub but just watch somebody the telly. You'll not get the right answer out of anybody, don't tell people this, Gordo. They get the
0: right answers on the Paddock Pass podcast.
1: No, but I'm, I'm, I'm clarifying my position. The point is that we do get to see these guys up close and personal. And I do think I'll race on a You don't get that. And the reason is, his crew chief and Ducati have spoken to. His crew chief has got nothing but respect and admiration. And he said what he can do with that bike, his experience and his understanding of the bike, he has to ride it a certain way. He doesn't have a choice. It's maybe not even his natural way of wanting to ride the bike. But he's able to do it again and again and again and again. And you know, when when somebody with the experience of his crew chief is saying that about a rider who's been around for a long time, I think Alvaro's getting better. I don't you know, he's making mistakes every now and again. I don't think he's lessening as a rider. I think he's actually learning.
0: Well it's one of those things experience doesn't tend to make you worse unless you've been absolutely snake bitten. And then you're struggling. And it's one of the questions we got in actually from Davi's asked us what's going to happen going forward for Ducati. Is Buliga the future? Are they looking elsewhere? Obviously for 2024, Buliga will replace Michael Rubin-Rinaldi this weekend in all, well, almost 99% certain. Boulogne is going to be made the Sport World Champion. So he's going to step up to the superbike. Is he the rider that can replace Alvaro?
1: Uh, no, but then again, we haven't seen him on the superbike. You never know, his style might just take off and and all of a sudden he becomes the next one. Um, I think the problem we've had in the past is that because we've had Johnny there in a position of dominance, there's been a lot of riders that couldn't quite come through, couldn't quite make it. So people were hiring the best rider they could get and not taking chances. Now, I think it's difficult to see, even though he was so dominant, because look at Locatelli, gigantically dominant uh, world champion on on the best bike in the class at that time. And he's still not won a race. He's not there. He's nearly. He's he's got a few podiums, and he's and he's own very very quiet under the radar Bergamo way of going about life. Um, very hard work ethic. Everything else, but he's almost invisible. He'd be a lot more visible if he'd won six races this year. Um, you know, this is the problem. You're talking about a guy who's not even in the class yet. How is he going to be the replacement for for the main man? I, it's difficult to see from out here, but I'm prepared for a surprise.
0: This is always one of the things, Gordo, that's interesting. That's succession. Because Kawasaki, when they had the best package, never really looked to determine the future. They were obviously, they brought Johnny in and then that meant that they had Tom and Johnny on the bike at the same time. Eventually Sykes was moved on and Haslam then Lowe's. But Kawasaki have missed out on... Mamo Gonzalez was a Super Sport 300 champion for them. Jumped onto a Super Sport bike initially on a Kawasaki and then they lost him. Adrian Super Supersport 300 champion jumps onto a Supersport bike, does two years on a Kawasaki, shows how good he is, but now they've lost him to Ducati. This is one of those strange situations where there's arguably really only been those two riders that have jumped up from Supersport 300, immediately were able to to show something like that. Obviously, we've had Safagdu and a few other riders as well, but those two riders as Kawasaki riders that they've now lost, and they could have been that succession.
1: Well, I don't know if that's true because obviously Jeffrey Boos was a world champion and he got the chance to go and racing but it just didn't work out for him. So there was one potential one. He was a you know, a, a convincing champion that year. Um Huertas, yes, everybody talks about his talent. He's not been on the four four, but he's done so far. Um yeah, great talent. Can Onshu won his first race this year and was a teenager until very recent. So I don't necessarily agree that there was no kind of planning of where the next talents are coming from. It just hasn't worked out. And obviously Onshu, fairly significant arming that he's still rebuilding. That was April and he's come back now and he can hardly move his so but his talent was huge and he won a race this year. He, brought, he did that breakthrough on a Kawasaki.
0: Just about aren't you? though, he was a, a Moto3 rider, came through the rise. What I'm looking at is for that 300 succession plan. The, it's it, You look at Yamaha with the Blue Crew or 3 Cup, Super Sport 300, Super Sport, potentially as far as a super bike. Kawasaki have had those two riders because at the end of the day Gonzalez, when you look at what he's been able to achieve on the Yamaha and Super Sport and now in Moto2, you can see that all the talk at the time was legit. Now, fair enough, if a rider wants to move into the Grand Prix paddock, they're going to move. But that was a rider that got away from Kawasaki whenever he left to go on to an R6. When you look at Huerta's, the same trend is happening where, for whatever reason, a rider clearly has decided my future is better served elsewhere.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Um, and obviously, you've got to take into consideration salary. I'm sure Huerta's a good, quite well paid. No idea what you get. But you can't stop a rider going to the manufacturer when he's right now the Ducati's the best bike. Last year it wasn't. It was still the Yamaha. A couple of years before that it was definitely the Yamaha. The Kawasaki, bizarrely, is actually more competitive now within the six hundred fight um, than it's been for a while because they allowed season ride by wire. So funnily enough, the Kawasaki's better than it's so that's part of the reason why Yonchu was able to win. But Kawasaki's not the same scale of factories Yamaha. Yamaha is a much bigger operation motorcycle company, certainly a motorcycle so they can create all these pyramids. Kawasaki probably just don't have the budget
0: Yeah and I understand that but the problem for Kawasaki is they had so much success for so long that it's very it's it's easy to think that that's going to run forever and it hasn't for them
1: Well I would argue that's due to the riders that they place in the time because Sykes was obviously nearly a three time world champion he was a guy you beat for three years Okay, he got beaten two of those three years, but he was world. Then a totally different rider with a totally different mindset, a totally different person. Comes along, jumps on the same bike. Um, Okay, changed the year he joined it and won six consecutive championships. You know, Sofoglu was just a genius on a 600. Couldn't ride a super bike. Maybe could have had a motor 2 bike. Um, If he had a different team, he wasn't very... But you look at what he did. It's difficult for anybody to come through that when you've got one person who's just dominating.
0: That could well be the case. But they let top rack slip through their fingers as well. So that was a mistake. There, there is those things that have been a trend for Kawasaki, and there, there is always where we've always said on the podcast, Jonathan Ray has been the margin for error for, for far too long. When you're still winning, it's very difficult to get more budget because you're still doing the job. Kawasaki have found that for whatever reason, now they've hit that wall, and there's they're past the point of no return. And just before we finish up on the pod, Gordo. We'll talk very quickly about Honda and BMW because Aragon, a track that worked well for Honda, we saw that they were much more competitive. Lacona had a jump start in race one; otherwise, was pretty much top seven all weekend, which is a pretty good weekend for Honda.
1: Yeah, which is kind of unfortunately that you know when you look at a good weekend as coming sixth or seventh, then with a factory bike and all that, and oh, there's a slight problem there. Um, yeah, we need to see them better. They are make, uh, they're, they're certainly putting the effort in. Um, they've made so many changes and so on. Um there has something has to happen there. There has to be a major step up in some individual rider. Something has to arrive that goes, okay, that's they've got they've got more than one because they shoot the engine is a rocket. The bike's made like a little jewelry box. It's a beautiful thing. They've got an awful lot of race engineering in it. But was it you know, when you're talking about a good result of sixth, something wrong.
0: One of the things that quite that is quite interesting, Gordo, is We've talked a lot about the Grand Prix knowledge that they've imported. If Marquez moves to Grassini, Leclerc goes to GP, Rinaldi's the likely rider to come in. He's got the, you know, the guts of two hundred race starts and superbikes. He spent his whole career on Ducatis, the V twin, the V four. He's got a lot of knowledge and experience. That should, in theory, be something that helps.
1: Yeah, I think in terms of individual results, we've seen that he's a he's won races. He won races a privateer. He won races a factory. He's one of the few ra- riders that's able to. Challenge and beat the top guys, even if only occasionally. Um, he's very he's, he's a pretty flawed rider. Um, you can see the mistakes he makes. Maybe the Honda is going to be a bit too much, because obviously what all the Honda riders are, you don't really know what the limit is. You start push, you're off, or you, oh, you lose it. Um, that seems to be a recurring theme. They certainly have a lot of changes in the chassis setup without making it steer reality. So it could be a very difficult thing for Michael, but it could also be incredibly liberating because. The expectation from the outside world and the inside world for somebody even like Michael is, is not the same as it would be, amazingly, if you could think of it, but he's still going back there. It'd be a much higher expectation. So maybe he, he's the freedom. Look how well he did last weekend with the freedom of knowing that, okay, I'm not Ducati, like, I'm going somewhere else. Look at what he did.
0: And that's quite interesting as well, because it brings us up to BMW as well, Gordo, because all the rider news was confirmed last time out in Aragon, Scott Redding's going to move to Bonovo, Laura Baz is on the way out of BMW and World SBK. Sylvain and looks like that's a done deal for him to be the test rider. Where Baz fits in then is interesting, is he going to be on a BMW and BSB and World Endurance or is he going to be cut loose? And then um, for BMW, at least there's clarity now in the open. Baz was pretty clear about it. He knew about this quite a while ago. It's just taken them a long time to actually confirm everything.
1: Yeah, and it's a shame because there is one of the great homegrown talents of this championship that if he'd stayed on factory bikes all the time, who knows where he could have went to. Um, But circumstances and arguably his own actions prevented that from happening. Um, He'd be the obvious person to put back on a Kawasaki.
0: Bit of bad blood still there. There might
1: still be. Well, it's just, it's not the people inside. I think it's the the, the home factory thing, my understanding.
0: I, I have to say though, much as the people inside would probably jump for Baz, Baz was treated badly by Kawasaki as well. So for Laris, yeah. maybe the motivation to go back, yeah. obviously as a factory rider, it would be a pull. But uh, I can understand if he decided that.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, again, the, when you when you have all that problems and obviously Sykes, who was world champion at the time and so on, yeah, th- there was a fairly hard separation. But he was seen as the it was going to be the scores, and it ended up maybe be etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, Loris has a, a lot of bad luck, Things pull, rugs pulled down all over the place. He does crash a bit, he's a second race, he, and even if it's only anecdotal, even if that's wrong, and if it's wrong, sorry Loris, but it seems to me that he does, it. and he's also desperate, but he is a vers- very versatile guy, you can put him on anything, world endurance, and he, he does a good, it would be great to see him on a, a good bike, wherever he is. I would presume there's some kind of payoff, he's had a,
0: maybe that. This weekend obviously Gordo, we've got the chance of wrapping up three world championships, Bulls, Bulaga and uh, Bautista. So, if you want to win a championship in 23, you got to be you got to be a B. So, Gordon Britchie, how Britchie. is it for you? Um, yeah, it would be very, very really
1: be very interesting if all three of them are done here because we really would be spinning about like tops. If we looked. Um Yeah, I think the the thing about it is that the three champions, if they if they the guys who are on top now finish on top, whether it's here or the next one, you can't argue that any of them. Don't, they've all done enough. No, nothing and nobody's perfect, but Boos has been a proven world champion, if he wins tomorrow, most likely, not in Saturn but most likely, you can't say he doesn't deserve it, his experience is one out Bullaga, the bike's come good and Bullaga after a pretty tough year last year has become almost flawless this year can't argue with him, fact to the Um but and Bautista if he wins here, yeah, I'd, I'd prefer to, to see everything go to the last round always, even if it does take away from other things but You can't. they've been the best other people have had bad luck what I'm going to end this season if Batista's champion I'm going to look back at another one of those what ifs for Rasgatlioglu because a couple of results different more pressure on Batista that could have been very different Jonathan wasn't he was was nearly a contender a better start maybe but he's miles behind so you're only talking about those two guys
0: yeah for Johnny he's pretty much got half the points of Batista so over the course of the 10 rounds we've had so far he's been nowhere in terms of the championship.
1: But look at his recent results. It's coming good now. So it shows what they did make a change.
0: There's been steady progression, but he's also very rarely looked like winning races, and you have to win. It's one of the big things that for Alex, whenever we're on commentary, he always talks about the fact that pretty much through this season, feature-length races, Bautista, has been unbeatable. And that's the, the difference between winning the championship and top rack then having the misfortune that means he doesn't have that margin for error because he's given up five points every feature length race and it all just adds up. And we should interject
1: here, We maybe should have mentioned it earlier, the biggest problem the Kawasaki's had this year is heat. When the track temperature gets quite high, they're stuffed in the long races. They just can't find a solution to getting their bike to work for the full race distance when it's very hot. And how many hot races have we had this year? A lot. You know, it, when you see Johnny... the the, the cooler it is, the better that Kawasaki works. That's the the bottom line for them. And we've had quite a hot season. How many wet races have we had this year? Very, very. So, I think it could have been a very different season if we literally had different weather. But we didn't here's where we are a bike should work in every,
0: every eventuality well even here in Mau, it's going to be 33 degrees which means that you're going to have 45, 50 degree track temperature we don't have the X tyre this weekend well we do for the Super Bowl race but not for the feature length races so this is going to be an interesting weekend to see how it plays out obviously we've also got the Japanese Grand Prix this weekend so you can keep up to date on patreon.com forward slash Podcast for our Paddock Notes show David, Neil and Adam will be bringing all the updates from the weekend we've also had Akira on the show as well once again so nice to be able to get some insight from him for his home Grand Prix. As it is though Gordo, for us we've got two rounds remaining and uh, we'll see how it plays out here in Portimao.
1: Yeah, great track, great weekend to look forward to, going to be boiling hot I think it's going to be, whether you're a fan there, fan at home or us watching it and getting to talk to riders off, it's going to be a belting weekend.
0: Yeah, Portimao always delivers so hopefully that'll be the trend that continues but certainly I'd expect that we're going to have a good battle at the front of the field, so we'll see how it plays out. As it is, this is the end of the show for us, but we'll be back next week to recap all the action from Motegi in the Grand Prix and then also from Superbikes here in Portimao.